Good morning. I am on, okay. Hi, I'm, I'm Kevin Griffin. Uh, welcome to Spirit Rock. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it because you're worth it. I was thinking I could just spend the whole day talking about that set of phrases. And so kind of guiding, guiding teachings. But this day is called Keep Coming Back, Dharma, Recovery, and Renewal. And uh, uh, we've, we've used that title and this topic uh, once or twice before at the beginning of the year here at Spirit Rock. Uh, it's a nice one to start the year with. Um, a lot of uh, faces I don't know, uh, and some uh, old friends as well. So you're, you're all welcome. Spirit Rock is a very welcoming place, a place that uh, offers a lot of different teachings. Um, and, uh, you know, it is available on many levels. You can come here on Monday night and just kind of hang out and hear some great talks, meet some people. You can come here for a day like this and get a little deeper, or you can go up the hill and and sit and do intensive practice. There's usually a retreat going on up there. There is one uh, today. It's been going on for a few days, I think. And uh, so, you know, I really encourage you to, to make this uh, a spiritual home. It's been a really important place for me ever since I moved to the Bay Area almost, well, it's 25 years ago. And uh, that was around when it started. They, they, um, I think they, well, they have the whole history back there. I think it was in the late 80s, they actually put some buildings on this land. You can see that uh, there's a new building going up. So uh, the next time I do one of these, uh, I presume it will be over there uh, if they let me. Uh, you know, and they might have like a basement room you know, <laughs> for us. Uh, you know specially built for us, so we'll feel comfortable. <laughs> Back door entrance, you know, little circle, triangle sign. Um, but this building, this building's been here since the early 90s at least, and uh, it's amazing it's held up. It's actually coming apart, so I was warning the people over there to watch out. The sky is falling, you know. Um, so um, I don't usually spend much time introducing myself, but, uh, but kind of looking out at this audience, I feel like I should, just because, as I said, a lot of people I don't recognize. And uh, I've, been, I've been doing this work for this work of connecting Buddhism and recovery in the 12 steps for uh, about 15 years. And, um, but uh, one of the things I've noticed is that uh, the faces keep changing, which I take as a good sign. Uh, one, of the, one of my intentions, one of my goals, is to really bring people into Dharma, into meditation practice, into in Buddhist teachings, so that you can go deeper in. Uh, so I consider myself in some ways a gateway drug into, <laughs> into Buddhism. So. 
But, uh, you know, I've been sober now for 30 years. I got sober in 1985, so I'll be passing that mark this year. Um, and doing Buddhist practice actually longer than that, I, I was kind of pursuing spirituality at the same time I was pursuing intoxication, um, which I've noticed actually, as I hear people, different people's stories, actually it's not uh, that uncommon. You know, and the, uh, the idea that our that our addiction is some, in some ways, a misguided spiritual search—that we're looking for some transcendence or meaning or connection—you uh, know—so there's sometimes these parallel lives, these two lives we live as addicts. Um, but when I got sober, I realized I needed to kind of work on the the non-transcendent part of my life. <laughs> uh, you know, like get a job kind of thing. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I just worked the steps, you know, and I worked the steps very classically. Uh, and uh, and I didn't really fight about it. You know, I didn't argue about the meaning of the, the language. But, uh, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, after about six or seven years sober, I start, as I kind of got back into my Buddhist practice more deeply, I wanted to make those connections. I wanted to um, see how I could understand the 12 steps specifically through the lens of Buddhist teachings that I had been uh, involved in and immersed in to some extent. And, and so that began kind of a, a, this journey for me. Of, of personal exploration that eventually became a public exploration in a sense. And, uh, and uh, during that time, uh, I, you know, I went back to school in, in sobriety and, uh, and wound up getting, I was, I used to be a musician uh, playing rock and roll music and uh, the like. <laughs> and, um, and when I went back to school, I wound up getting into another creative form, which was creative writing, and, and uh, went to graduate school in creative writing, and, but never was able to have really much success uh, writing fiction, which was what I was doing. So eventually, but eventually, when, when my Dharma teaching started to uh, manifest in the late 90s, I went through a teacher training program here, then I started to write about Buddhism and the Twelve Steps, and uh, and that's how I kind of stumbled into this. You know, the, we talk about uh, the miracles of recovery and and sort of not not trying to exactly plan exactly wh- where your life is going, and that that third step thing of turning it over and just doing the next right thing, and that's very much how I wound up sitting here doing this. That I just kept showing up for my for my spiritual practice, for my my work life, for my creative life, and all of them actually all came together. Uh, and it's one of those for me. The, my story is one of those miracles of recovery that you sort of can't get there from here. So uh, so there are books for sale, you know, <laughs> that I've writ- written. Uh, and I keep writing and. Uh, and, and I keep writing because I love to write, uh, not because I think I have something, oh, I have to tell people this. Uh, you know, I, I try to find something useful to say. 
but I just love to love to write. Um, So a couple things, uh, a couple other things before we get into some practice. Uh, we will do a few sessions of meditation today. This is not a really intensive meditation day. This is more of a workshop day, I would say. But um, I, one thing uh, is just to put this in the context of you know this time of year and how um, you know I was thinking about how. Um, particularly between Christmas and New Year's, that that uh, routines all get disrupted. And my wife's an English professor, so so it's school break. Uh, we also have a teenage daughter, and so you know routines and and schedules and uh, everything gets kind of disrupted. And and that's kind of the the um, you know ancient. Thing the, the the Romans had this time of year, where their their lunar calendar didn't match up with their solar calendar or something. Someone else might know this better than me, but there it was like a week at the end of the year where they just threw out all all the rules, and you could sort of do anything you wanted and drink and sleep with anybody, and it didn't count. Uh, and I used to do that, but um, I didn't just wait for the this week. But anyway. Uh, but it still seems like there's uh, some of that energy, you know, the, a lot of a lot of stuff going on, and, and there's the stuff that can be really fun about it, and then there can be days where you're kind of like, literally, like, what day is it? I don't know if anybody had that feeling the last two or three days. Like, is it what, Sunday? Is it Wednesday? Um, and uh, so it, it always feels to me like I'm really looking forward to Monday. And I don't usually look forward to Monday that much. But I'm really looking forward to Monday because like, oh, great. My daughter goes back to school. I can get up early and you know, sit and do some work. And, you know, how routine. Wow. <laughs> Which, again, in, in my uh, addiction, routine was something I, I was not interested in. Um, So the, you know the uh, the idea for me of this day is like is to get myself kind of aligned for the beginning of the year and, and uh, you know and of course we have the tradition of resolutions and I think that's part of it and, and, you know from the the Buddhist viewpoint isn't so much a resolution like I'm going to make that and then if I break it oh well forget it you know in Buddhism it's it, we have right intention. And it's the same as keep coming back. When we say keep coming back, it's not like oh, you you relapsed, so we don't want you back anymore. You you know you you committed a sin, you know you're going to hell. It's you know no matter what happens, you you know where you want to be, but we're not perfect, and so when we slip or in whatever way, whether it's a relapse or whether it's getting off track or you know we don't meditate for a while or we don't go to meetings for a while, whatever it is, we find ourselves getting angry or, you know, that we're binging on something else. Okay, I just keep coming back and it's that one day at a time. Um, Having that clear idea of what our intentions are and, and that, you know, and even that changes over time and evolves. But just knowing that, okay, what's important isn't to be perfect, right? 
in meditation, it's not like, oh, I have to stay with my breath all the time or I've blown it. It's no, I just keep coming back to my breath. And in that coming back, there is a training. in, In recovery, there's a training ourselves to appreciate and engage in a new life. In meditation, it's a training the mind to appreciate and engage the present moment and being here. And we're developing new habits in that way. You know, the phrase progress, not perfection is a really important one for me. So that's kind of the, the spirit of this, this day, that renewal of our intention and clar- clarifying of intention. And maybe there are some new intentions that you're adding. The other thing I, I, I want to kind of point out um, when, if you go out in the uh, vestibule to the foyer during a break, you'll see all these flyers. And every one of them will have like a title for an event. And then it'll have like a little paragraph under there. And it's marketing, right? Uh, in a in a positive sense. I mean, the marketing is supposed to inform you about the positive part about advertising and marketing is supposed to inform you about things that you might not otherwise know about and interest you in, in engaging in it. With Spirit Rock, really what we're trying to do is get you to come in the door and sit down and, and stay here for a while. The the name of the workshop or the retreat and the thing that you're promised you're going to get out of it, that's not really what it's about. This is, this is for you to come and be with yourself. You know, to just be with yourself and remember yourself. You know, we, ha- we all have those moments when we realize, wow, what a- where have I been? What- what's been going on? And we have, you know, a quiet moment of reflection where we remember, oh, this isn't how I want to be living. Or, wait, I really want to get back into that. Uh, but we need a little space to do it. There's not a lot of space in our world these days in the psychic sense. And uh, so this creates that space, uh, that psychic space. And the traditional... Buddhist name for that is taking refuge. We take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The Buddha is really your wisdom, your intuitive wisdom that you already know who you are or what you want to be or how you want to be. So you come here to come back to yourself. The Dharma is the teachings and the wisdom that arises when you come back to yourself. And when you come here, something that I say or someone else says might trigger that as well. It might help you. So hopefully that's, that's part of my role here. And then the Sangha is the group of people. So you come in here and you go, okay, I'm not the only one. Because if you came in here and there were like three people or just one person, you might be like, hmm, maybe there's a better 
thing. Where is everybody? Where are the cool people? You know, uh, maybe I should just go to a meeting. You know. So it's really important to have community and support and like-minded people, as we know in the recovery world as well. So I, I love to talk about Dharma, and I love to dialogue with people. Um, but I, I also recognize that I'm not really giving you anything. You're, you already have it. It's just a matter of you connecting with that within yourself. So hopefully, um, if you hang out here today, uh, you'll, uh, you'll feel that. So let's let's do some meditation. Now my um, approach to guiding meditation is to spend about the first half of the meditation period talking so that if you're not familiar with meditation and you need, need some explanation about how to do it, you can hopefully pick up some tips and some guidance. And then I just let it go quiet so that you can just work within yourself. Um, I, I've been uh, increasing the period of time that I meditate at home. Uh, I... That I kind of renewed my practice again after a retreat in uh, November that I went on and said, okay, I'm going to sit for an hour every morning instead of just 30 or 40 minutes. And uh, that's made a big difference uh, for me. I'm not going to make you sit for an hour this morning, uh, although it wouldn't hurt probably. But I usually sit for 30 minutes, but I'm going to add five minutes this morning to that, and uh, that's going to be my my renewal of my teaching. And and uh, really, it's an expression of my trust in the silence, in the practice itself. That it that you will get as much out of just being quiet with yourself as you will uh, from listening to me. As hard as that is for me to accept. So let's start with the bell, and and the with the bell, just just listen to it. Just listen until you can't hear the bell, and then see what you hear when you can't hear the bell. So you can close your eyes or just lower your gaze.
and letting your attention come into your body, feeling your embodied presence, your aliveness. To settle and to connect with the body, we can do some intentional relaxation, just starting by relaxing the muscles in the face, the jaw, small muscles around the eyes, the forehead, just letting all tension or holding drain out of the face. And relaxing the shoulders, the neck, Relaxing the arms, the hands. Just tune in for a moment to the sensations in your hands. Softening the belly. Let the breath move into the belly. It's a place we often hold tension. Letting the chest be open. A sense of receptivity in the heart. Relaxing through the hips and pelvis. The legs and feet. So a sense of release through the body. Just letting the spine hold you erect. Well, the 
muscles are soft. This is a kind of surrender in itself, opening the body. and feeling the body as a single object. So awareness holding the whole body. seeing that within that single object, there are many different sensations. Letting body awareness continue as you open further to awareness of sound. Sounds in this room, perhaps some sounds from outside, sounds from your own body. We're beginning now to open this field of awareness, body and sounds. Well, our awareness is usually just focused on one thing. When we open to the field, we see that There are many different perceptions, many different stimuli coming to us at once, and we usually filter out most of it. We have this field of body and sound. You might notice 
as well and be able to feel mood or emotion. What are you feeling right now? There may be a name for it, but the word isn't so important. The felt experience to be open to and allow that to come through. and hold that in this broader field of awareness. And now to give us something more specific to hold the attention, we start to focus on the breath in the center of this field of awareness. We're kind of letting the body awareness, sound, and mood move to the background, not pushing them away, but just letting them go out of focus a little bit while the breath becomes the clear focus in the foreground. You can feel the breath at the nostrils or at the belly. Finding a single point or area of sensation that will become your primary object of attention. The breath can be felt at the nostrils, the touch of the air flowing in, flowing out, or the breath can be felt as the movement of the belly rising, falling, and rising again. So you can choose one of these points of sensation and that's the place that you keep coming back to whenever the mind wanders. Feeling the breath at the center of the field of awareness. The feeling of ease, openness. Not trying to squeeze the breath or cling to it. Seeing what can you feel. Nothing special. 
no right way. The mind tends to wander. This is its habit, its training. Whenever we notice that, that we've shifted attention to a thought, or an image. Just when we notice that, we come back. This is the keep coming back of practice. We don't come back with anger or violence or aggression, judgment. We just come back kindly, easily, gently. Anything else is just added, not necessary. One thing that can help with our attitude in meditation is to smile, not to put a big grin on your face, but to just turn up the corners of the mouth. <coughs> a smile of wisdom, of acceptance. A smile of surrender, of appreciation. Watching the mind can be cause for a smile. When we see the mind's efforts to control or to judge, to figure out,
eventually it all becomes a, a bit funny. What does my mind think it's going to accomplish with all this busyness? Where does all this come from? Why, even when I know that most of these thoughts are repetitive, meaningless excursions, why can I not let go? At that point, we've arrived at step one, seeing our powerlessness of our own minds. And we are here because we trust that there is some way, some power that allows some kind of transformation, some kind of letting go. The spirit of mindfulness is not to reject any aspect of experience. To try to open to 
and feel fully even that which we find unpleasant, whether it's a sensation or an emotion, a thought, judgment, a desire. This practice isn't to escape, but rather to open more deeply to what is here. And that's where we discover the true, the true freedom of letting go. It's when we are struggling with and fighting our experience that we're caught. When we let go of that fight, then those struggles end. I'd like to take some time for questions, if people have questions about meditation practice. And this is being recorded, so we're going to ask you to use a microphone. Where's the microphone person? Oh, great. Thank you. So questions about practice, any challenges you might have had during that sitting or general questions that you have? Yes. Hi. If you want to say your name, that's okay, too. Um, My name is Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Hi. I'm having a lot of turmoil inside of me. (laughs) So I found that I just wanted to escape when we did the meditation. So I went and lied down a little bit. But it's kind of scary to not be able to stay awake and focus. I just wondered if you have any feedback about that. So... uh I'm, I'm not hearing you very well, but oh, so you said sorry. you're having a lot of turmoil. Turmoil. You just wanted to escape. Yeah. And did you say you went and lay down? Or? I went and lay down, uh-huh. and I just feel um, it's hard to not be present. I want to be here. So when you say turmoil, you're talking about emotions or thoughts or both? Um, or? Emotions and thoughts. Is, are, are these like based in reality things that are like real life concerns that you're yeah. worried about or are they more yeah. just no they're real life okay, concerns so issues mm-hmm. yeah well if I had you know the answer to what to do when you had uh, problems <laughs> I'd be rich <laughs> um, but 
you know, from a, from a meditation, strictly from a meditation standpoint, it's really kind of what I was talking about in terms of just this sense of trying to let things come through, kind of feel them. The, the mistake that we tend to make is that we kind of have this feeling that I'm going to think away my problem, that, that I've got this problem and I'm, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to solve it, and once I figure it out, then I'll, it'll be gone and I won't worry about it anymore. But what we tend to do instead in our heads is just keep running through the same scenarios, fears, uh, you know, judgments, uh, and analyzing, you know, fixes. And, you know, and there's a place for thinking about our problems, obviously, but uh, it's not so much in the meditation hall, you know. And so what I suggest is that you work with the felt experience rather than the cognitive element of it. And that, of course, helps you to arrive in the present moment. So what that means in practical terms is to... uh, Usually I kind of focus on the chest and belly, solar plexus, wherever there's kind of a, 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 I can find kind of a focal point for the emotion in the body. And sometimes emotions, they show up in all kinds of places. I mean, you know, fear can kind of shoot up your back, you know, and, and things can kind of bolt out in all kinds of parts of the body. But, but this is kind of the core part around here. And so when I'm finding that my mind is just spinning out, with stuff that I can't actually solve right now, that's like, oh, I'm just going to have to deal with this on Monday morning, you know, when I make that call or, you know. what? Then I just try to bring the attention into this body, part of the body and kind of breathe maybe a little deeper and, and have a sense of, I'm opening to this. I'm surrendering to this. I'm letting these feelings come through. Because it's the feelings themselves, the anxiety and the fear and the, that emotional level that fuels the thinking. And it keeps feeding the thinking. So even if I figure it out in my head, there's still this energy in my body. And when I just get on that visceral level, which is where I don't want to go, by the way, you know, which is why I avoid it and try to do it up here. But when I surrender to that and breathe with that, let that come through, then a couple things happen. One is that I'm out of my head, so I'm not in the thoughts. There might be some things going on there, but that's not really what I'm paying attention to. I'm just feeling this energy in the body, which means I'm, I'm here now. And I'm, ex- I'm experiencing the, this emotion as a as an energetic experience, just as energy in the body, as feelings in the body, as sensations. You know, it's hard to sometimes describe emotions as exactly physical sensations, but it's somehow it's in here, right? So, so I'm, I'm feeling that as energy rather than as something to be afraid of. It's just, oh, this is just stuff. It's just energy, just like you know, having a cup of coffee and feeling a lot of energy or going for a run and feeling energized, you know, or you're excited about something. It's just energy. And 
and because I've put this negative spin on it or it's associated with this thought, I have a negative feeling about the feeling. You know? But when I just feel it as energy, I kind of take that, that aspect of it out and it just becomes this stuff coming through. And when I give it that space, it tends to play out. Because what, what happens when I don't connect with that is that there's this feedback loop between thoughts and feelings. And so there's a feeling of fear, or maybe there's a thought of something I'm you know, fearful about that generates a feeling of fear. That feeling of fear then cranks up more thoughts. The thoughts keep feeding back into the body, and you get this cycle, this feedback cycle loop. And so when you cut off that loop, it can play out. The energy kind of can go, and you're just, and at a certain point, you may find that, oh, I'm just here in my body, and things tend to calm down because everything is impermanent, right? That energy, that feeling can't sustain itself unless it keeps getting fed, you know? So if you're not feeding it, it just eventually kind of cools out, you know? Now, the, the other positive element of this is that as we calm down a little bit and get out of the fear cycle in the head that's just very surface thinking, then we allow the intuitive wisdom, the, pro- the real problem-solving part of our mind, to come through with answers. And, you know, it's our, the answers will come if our own house is in order. So in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, well, the house that we're talking about is our emotional cognitive house. If we let ourselves spin out, you know, the house is in chaos, right? But when you kind of let things calm down, things clear out, and your house becomes in order, and then the answers come, not by, I'm going to solve this, let me write down a list and get the, you know, it's just, oh, right, okay, this is what I can do, and, you know, and, and maybe it's, you know, I have to turn it over, you know, or maybe I have to show up, or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, this is all I can do. Um, I mean, those answers are usually pretty simple in terms of how we can actually engage it. And yeah, we all have problems in our lives. And, you know, they're going to keep coming that life is, you know, that's one aspect of life, that it's one problem after another, you know. And sometimes they get get worse as you get older. But they're just, you know, they're just the things that we show up for, so... That's that's how I would, yeah. See if we can work with it in that way. So again, just to sim- come back to the simple meditation instruction is to come into the body, breathe with that, and let that come through. You know, and, and because we fundamentally are afraid to feel our feelings, right? This is typical of addicts. I think it's true of most people, but especially <coughs> addicts. So this is we have to let. I don't know if we can we let go of the fear of the feeling, but we have to get through the fear and allow ourselves to feel. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Cindy, thank you. Yeah. Yes, I've been meditating um, both uh, irregularly and periodically for quite some time. Hmm. And uh, the time between is sometimes uh, quite a bit. And I find that my 
meditation doesn't change. It stays, it stays pretty much the same. And I think I'm, it, feels like, it feels like I'm doing something wrong because it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. I must not be doing something right mm-hmm. because it doesn't change. And um, 35 minutes seems like a very long period of time uh, for someone who doesn't meditate on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wonder what to do with this feeling that I'm not quite, I'm not doing it quite right because I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Where do you want to get to? I mean, I don't want to be too Zen about the whole thing, but, you know, yeah, there's nowhere to get to. You're already there, as they say, you know. Um, but, indeed, what we're, if there's something we're trying to do, it's, it's we're trying to get here in a more clear way, and usually our minds are so stirred up that we don't feel like we're here as we're meditating. We're sitting down... We're closing our eyes, but we don't feel as if we're actually meditating because we associate meditation with something different, like maybe quiet or peace. Or... So I think the first thing is to abandon, um, not hope, but, uh, <laughs> but abandon ideas about what is supposed to happen. Um, The, uh, it's not actually true that, n- that nothing, has ch- nothing changes in your meditation. Uh, that's impossible. And that, I don't mean to say that, oh, it's getting better and you don't notice it. It just means that it, it's changing, you know, because everything is changing. And your mind is changing constantly. You know? So things are happening. Uh, but what... I suspect you're saying is that it doesn't seem to be getting like quieter or more settled or more peaceful or more meditative as I'm doing it. Um, and I mean, I could. I, I mean, I, well, I will. I will say that. Yeah, intermittent intermittent meditation is kind of like going to the gym intermittently. <laughs> you don't really develop any muscles. It's not bad for you, necessarily, you know, unless you overexert yourself and have a heart attack because you, you haven't been exercising. Anyway. Um, just zip that out. Um, but it just doesn't... Not much happens. And again, as with recovery, if you keep relapsing regularly, you don't really get to the promises or, you know, the freedom that comes with recovery. It, it's, it's much more important to... Continuity is more important than uh, the length of time that you... You know, it's like meditating every day is more important than meditating for two hours one day and then, oh, I'll take the rest of the week off because I meditated so much that day. That's, you know... Uh, because this isn't about an experience. You know, it's not about like meditating and going, wow, that was a really good meditation. Like, that's not the point. The point is to have a different way of engaging in life by 
trying to be mindful moment by moment, whether I'm formally doing that or whether I'm informally doing it. So the meditation, daily meditation, has two effects on that. One is that it deepens our and makes easier and more natural our tendency to be present because we're practicing it in an intensive and formal way for a certain period of time. So the rest of the day, we're more likely to fall back into that. And it also uh, deepens the the daily, the meditation experience itself by doing it on a regular basis. If you want to have deeper experiences of meditation, and indeed the further benefits of it, the more practice you do, you know, the deeper it goes. I mean, uh, that's why there's people up the hill who now are spending the day and the week, you know, and in, Jan- in February and March, they'll do two month-long retreats where people are doing meditation intensively uh, for that whole time. And, you know, Bill Wilson talks about this in the 12 and 12, about how the, the potential for spiritual awakening, for spiritual experience, for the depths that come, come through meditation and spiritual practice is unlimited. We don't know what it is. So it's really a question of how much we're willing to devote to it. So, you know, it, uh, So, uh, you know, I, I, I encourage people to find a way to make more time and to, to, go, to do, go and retreat. Really, if you want to really get the deeper taste of practice, at the same time, it's really under, important to understand that that doesn't fix anything. Or you know, I've been on, I've gone on retreat almost every year for the last thirty-five years. Sometimes twice a year. Sometimes for just three days that year. In my early recovery, I didn't do a lot of long-term practice because I was focused on step work. Sometimes for a month, you know. But, you know, after a while, and after a retreat, I'm like in this great space, you know, the mind is very concentrated, just all the things that you probably imagine meditation is supposed to be, that it's not being for you right now. And then that wears off, you know? So that if you depend on, oh, I need to have that experience every day, that becomes another kind of addictive behavior, you know? Like, I, quick, I need to go meditate because I'm getting a fee, having a feeling, you know. I mean, I've, you know, I, I know people who work their program like that. Oh, quick, uh, you know, I'm having a feeling. Quick, let me go right a 10 step and do a meditation and, like, let it go because I don't want to have that feeling. This practice for me is much more, the much more important part of it is that daily engagement of being able to be present with what I'm feeling with the, what's coming up, with my cravings, you know, my uh, all the, you know, the good and the ungood, <laughs> the unpleasant, you know, the pleasant and the unpleasant, to be able to just be engaged in my life. So there, it's kind of this. I don't like to overemphasize. Oh, meditation is going to fix it all. Meditation is just a support, and 
you know, in and of itself, there can certainly be wonderful experiences that are very rewarding and inspiring, but that's not an end in itself. You know, that's just a, a part of the of the process of having a, this, uh, you know, spiritual life, not non-material focus in life. So just start sitting every day. <laughs> That's one of my, uh, you know, go ahead. One of the things I encourage people when they go on retreat with me, and I will encourage you today, this is a good day to start 90 sittings in 90 days. <laughs> and, you know, even if, if it's just one minute, that's okay. But, you know, show up that day. Just like, you know, if you go like, oh, I only had one drink today. That doesn't, you know, it's not really, no, that's, it's not sobriety, you know. Hi, my name is Wendy. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Um, (laughs) I couldn't meditate until I had like 11 years sobriety. I Uh couldn't sit still. Uh I I like that you clarified that. You couldn't sit still. I couldn't sit still. That doesn't mean you couldn't meditate. Yeah, I know. I couldn't, you know, like I'd try and then... um, uh, you know, the cat would jump on my lap or the phone would ring. You know, I, I was easily distracted. Uh-huh. But I, I learned could, that that was my... in the other room, close the I door, know, right. unplug the phone. Yeah. Just some suggestions. I and I started... practical guidance. You know. I started making lists, you know, you know yeah. in my mind, you yeah. know, and it was hard, but I did it. And I, that's when I learned Transcendental Meditation. So uh-huh. I did it 20 minutes in the morning and yeah. 20 minutes at night. And since then, you know, I've learned... Vipassana and um, running energy and uh, you know like etc. All these different <laughs> guided meditation right. and um, I'm wondering you, you know sometimes I do one form and sometimes I do another. It's uh-huh. like kind of like my yoga practice, right. you know. And I'm wondering if you recommend sticking with one form of meditation or if mixing it up is a problem, you know, or if it yeah. if it confuses yeah. things uh, that's a good question um, and and as with most of my answers there isn't a single you know this is what you should do and and, and frankly I don't trust those kind of inst- teachings uh, this is the right way that's the wrong way uh, what do you do um Well, let me talk about what you're asking first. But that, generally speaking, so let me talk about what the risks are in switching all the, multiple times. That that there can there's kind of this you don't you don't allow anything to go deeper. So um, because it's kind of like relationships, you always get to a certain point where you hit that wall. And if you don't get through that wall, then you'll just move on to another relationship and it'll be la, 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 la. And then you hit the wall and it's like, oh, God, let me find someone else. It's better. So with meditation, it can be kind of the same thing. Oh, this is a great meditation. I love this. You know, and you're doing this. And it's like, oh, God, it's not working anymore. Let me find something else. And there, that, that can be that kind of spiritual supermarket they talk about. You know? <laughs> you're just shopping around for something better. So generally speaking, it's, it's recommended that you work with one particular form, at least for a period of time, like a five-year period. Um, 
It's, it's not long, really. You know. <laughs> um, the mixing practice, if you're doing it intentionally, that can be useful if, you, if there's a purpose. So if you have one practice that... So I will sometimes start a sitting with a certain form. Like, okay, right now I'm going to count my breaths for a, a little while. I won't necessarily time it, but I'll kind of do it until then I feel like a, a shift. Like, okay, my mind has settled a little bit. So that would be doing a concentration practice. So, so TM is a concentration practice where you're just like, I'm just going to focus on this one thing until it kind of calms. And then I'll open up and do more of a Vipassana, more of a or mindfulness, kind of open awareness practice. Um, so that, that if you're doing mixing intentionally, you know, in a structured way, that can be useful. But if it's just like, oh, today I think I'll do this, oh, tomorrow, no, I don't feel like that today, that's, that's not uh, a skillful. Yeah, but, yeah. I, more, I more do, like, I may start out with my breath, you mm-hmm. know, and then, or start out with mantra, and then go to, then rest in the bottom of my exhale. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I no, I think that's fine. I think I that's fine. Right. So I think that's fine. And, I, and, and one of the things that I think is really important is to find forms that are comfortable for you as an individual. That uh, there's a tendency, again, for us to kind of, oh, tell me the best way to meditate. Oh, I heard this is the one that really works, you know. Let me put on those headphones. They have that thing now where it's like the brain waves, like you put on the headphones and they make... And, oh, that'll do it, you know. And, and um, you know, there's some guru who just like, oh, wow, they're enlightened and I've all do... And, and then it's kind of like having a sponsor who says, this is how you work the steps. Okay, do it that way. Oh, you're not doing it right. Do it this way. You know, and, and if you're having a feeling, then you haven't written enough inventory. You know, obviously, you, know, you haven't turned it over. And it, it's like, you know, it's, I think it's really important to, like, at some point, like, let go of those voices and just say, what, what's working? What, what's this feel like? You have to, you know, you're, you ultimately are your own meditation teacher. The instructions are really, you know, this box that we're trying to fit this, the mind, which it has no shape into, you know. And it's just like popping out all over the place, you know. It's not, it's not going to fit in there. So we have to, uh, you know, initially it's really great. I mean, I did TM initially, and, and I, I loved having something very, Structured, and then when I learned to do vipassana practice, it was very structured, and uh, you know, and noting everything. But eventually, structure started to feel like a box, and and I had to let go of that. And so I, I think it's very useful when you're learning meditation to work with a form and keep working with that form. Eventually, the form will dissolve, and and if you're trying to keep your mind in that form and, and the form is dissolving, you're just in this struggle. So you have to kind of let, let your own uh, practice take its own shape. So not, not too mad in terms of metaphors there. Um, so, so I, yeah, thanks. Um, 
So I think we should uh, take a little break. We'll, we'll, there will be time for more questions for sure later. But we'll take about a 10-minute break. You can use the restroom, have a cup of tea. And uh, we're not in silence, so please um, make a new friend or deepen an existing friendship. <laughs> I, I meant to mention that there is some space up in the front if people, you know, there's people sitting on the floor in the back. Maybe you don't want to see, but uh, there's there's room over here, and and uh, you know if you're in the front row, I'm not going to pick on you. Hmm. Um. So I. I uh, I was thinking about um, different stages of recovery, and uh, you know, for the newcomer, um, it's really what they're doing. Their program is really about renewal. It's about renewing your life. It's about. Uh, Recovering the lost life, um, and uh, and finding a new way of being. Uh, so it it's uh, every day is kind of renewal and, and discovering what uh, what your life is going to be, who you are going to be now, and, that, and that's a really pretty scary thing. Uh, and, and a really exciting thing, probably both at different times. Um, but I think that uh, at every stage of recovery, um, there's that renewal is part of part of the process. Um, I, I. Think of I guess, these are the stages that I think, in terms of time-wise, that I think of recovery. I think of the first two years as being the being a newcomer, basically, kind of developing, establishing a program. That from two to five, that, and obviously this is describing my <laughs> program. So I'm sure there's different frameworks, but I think these are kind of stages that happen. There's kind of getting really established in the program, so that okay, this is. This is who I am now, and and sort of finding that identity as a recovered person, and then there's starting to do the the work that that has to be done because for a lot of us, on some level, we've made some kind of a mess in our lives that or incomplete. You know, something is very incomplete for me. My education was very incomplete because I dropped out of high school. So going back to school at three years sober was like a really big step. And 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 also at that point, at two years sober was really when I started to uh, deal with the relationship stuff. And, and I think that's, you know, very common. I don't. Not, not everybody, but many of us have to figure out how to be in a relationship or how to make the relationship we have work now in this new way. So there's that stage that's kind of up to five years or so, whatever. And and five to ten, I think, is, you know, you're really like, okay, I'm, I'm a big kid now, you know. Uh, and... and um, 
and there's a sense of this is my life now. This is there's no you know, and I'm hopefully I'm really engaged. Um, but but I also think that from five to ten is the time when we face the deeper kind of uh, spiritual questions and challenges when when our intellect has come back. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that. <laughs> I know that a lot of people really struggle with the God idea or spirituality early in recovery, but um, I think there's also this this other stage of of making it authentic, making it our own. Sort of what I was talking about in terms of meditation practice, but in terms of recovery and what do the steps really mean in my life now? I'm not working the steps to stay sober or clean exactly like. I'm not really at that risk on a daily basis, but this has to become. This has to gain more meaning for me. So these are the. So there are these stages where people hit walls that where there's relapse, and uh, and that's that's one of them. I think uh, if we can't move beyond some rote version of what spiritual or step work means. Uh, then at some point it's going to stop working for us. In the beginning, you can just like, okay, just do whatever somebody tells you to do. You show up, you know, okay, great, because you, you, know, you're, you're, you don't have the clarity enough to make decisions, and probably best you don't. Uh, but at a, you know, at a certain point, it's like, okay, now I'm a big boy or girl, and I can... I need to make my own decisions, and what what does that mean, and how how's how's this going to work for me, as a as a life? You know, if you make it to that ten year point, uh, you know, I, I remember when I when I got my sponsor, he had just reached ten years sober, and I was I was a year sober when I asked him to be my sponsor, and and he had just gone through this big crisis. And uh, and that was one of the things that drew me to him, that he had gone through this crisis at 10 years sober, and he got through it. You know, I thought, okay, this is a real person. This isn't somebody who's going to, like, feed me the, you know, happy, joyous, and free, all this kind of whatever. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but... But it's the being fed part that I don't like. <laughs> happy, joyous, and free is nice, but... Uh, and um, and you know then there's it's uh, you know finding continuing to find meaning and fulfillment. Let, what does what does recovery mean when you've got ten years sober? And I know a lot of people at a certain point between ten and twenty maybe. <laughs> I don't know how many there are there, but uh, kind of drift away from the program in the same way that they're engaged earlier on, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it it depends which direction they're drifting in. Um, I certainly, at 30 years sober, I don't go to a lot of meetings, uh, but I don't feel in any way that I've drifted away from the program or spiritual recovery. Uh, It's really... um, what uh, informs my life on a daily basis. Um, And yet, we also know that no matter how many years 
there's still that risk of relapse, of like going back to zero, you know, uh, to not pass go, to not collect $200, you know. Uh, it's, uh, and that's what's kind of mysterious. And, and I mean, I don't know if I can make a connection exactly to, to Buddhism here, but, uh, I, you know, it's one of the things that gives an edge to, to recovery that sometimes is actually lacking by people in people who are like just on a spiritual path coming to Spirit Rock to get something. You know, maybe something specific like enlightenment or something more va- vague like enlightenment. You know? <laughs> but, you know, that edge of knowing like, yeah, you know, meetings, the steps, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I could drink. You know, uh, I was in Ireland this summer speaking of drinking. That's I got this sweater. I didn't get to wear it for about four months afterwards. I was waiting for it to get cold. <laughs> Shouldn't have, you know, watch out what you wish for. But anyway, um, you know, we ate in pubs most nights. And it was nice, you know. Uh, uh, neither my wife or I drink. And uh, we were, my daughter is 17 and we would buy her like a, a hard cider, and then we would watch her. <laughs> you want another one? You haven't finished that yet. You want to try a Guinness? No, she's not a, she doesn't seem to be an alcoholic. I can't understand that, but... But it was really interesting because I have been very fortunate that from day one, I never had, certainly never had the compulsion to drink or use again. And, and I rarely even have the desire, like even as a vague thing. Sometimes the idea of a cold beer with a pizza or something sounds good or whatever, but it's, there's never, you know, where people are drinking margaritas in a movie, you know, but it's never like, oh, you know, the fingernails and the flesh kind of feeling. But I did find that at a certain point, it was near the end of our visit, I, I realized that the people who were going up to the bar and getting a beer it seemed like everybody was having a nice time, you know? And it seemed like a very natural thing. It wasn't like, oh, these people are all sloppy drunk. It just seemed like everybody was having a nice time and that having a beer was part of having a nice time. And it started to just appear in my mind, uh, almost like I could do that. Whereas usually my thought about alcohol is, oh, I can't do that. And I've described this at times as the feeling that I'm not old enough to drink, which is far from true. But, you know, the, the only association I have in my life with not drinking is being a kid and not being old enough to drink. So uh, as a sober person, there's sometimes it, when I'm, if I'm at a party or a wedding or something and people are drinking, I'm kind of like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. Like, I'm not old enough. I, I don't know why that's... Anyway, in Ireland, I guess I started to feel like I was old enough, you know. And, uh, 
and it was somewhat of a shock to me, you know. Um, but of course, it shouldn't be because we know, you know, if you've been around uh, a pro- any program uh, for any length of time, you've heard of people relapsing at all kinds of stages, and uh, so. So we have this phrase, keep coming back, you know. And this is about uh, renewing our commitment each day, you know, one breath at a time, one day at a time. So I, I'm going to talk some more about this phrase because it's actually quite interesting to put it in a Buddhist context. Keep coming back, it works if you work it. So there are three things here. <laughs> those who are math majors. You know, keep coming back is expressing our intention. This is, you know, the, one of the aspects of the Buddhist Eightfold Path, right intention, that we know, and I've talked about this earlier today, but that we know how we want to live. We know what our basic, you know, principles of, of living are. Keep coming back, it works. It works is step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Just sum it up with two words, it works. <laughs> right? So that's what, that's what we're saying. In that, I mean, I know in a way this is obvious, but I think it's kind of fun to like take this seriously because it's one of those things that people who have been to meetings for a long time, we've said it so many times we don't really think about it. But it works as like reminding us, like, you know, trust in this process. If you have the intention, if you keep showing up, if you keep coming back, if you keep coming back to your right intention, that things will change, things will get better. And the thing that was added, and I don't know how these things evolved, but I think some of them came from like recovery programs because the work it because you're worth it is definitely not from AA. That's like, that came from somewhere else. Uh, uh, (laughs) But it works if you work it is about the law of karma. (laughs) Things only happen if you take action. It's not keep coming back, it works because God is going to fix you because you've turned your will and your life over to God, so he is going to intervene in your life. It's, it works if you take the skillful actions that are aligned with your right intention. That's the law of karma. And coming back to keep coming back, we say keep coming back because... Karma doesn't work like that. You know, it's not like having a drink, like, okay, good, you know, I'm fixed. You know, I went to a meeting, I'm fixed. You know, it's that there's a process involved. Uh, And you aren't in control of the time frame of the process. You have a role in the process. You have a partnership with the higher power of karma. You do your part, the law of karma will do its part. If your actions, your, your thoughts, words, and actions are aligned with the law of karma, then beneficial results will come. You know, 
results will vary. <laughs> What's, there's some kind of a thing, and I'm not sure where that's coming, some ad for some kind of a drug or something, right? Results will vary depending upon your own, you know, previous karma. <laughs> but, but they will incline towards the positive. So this is, this is a simple teaching, and, and it's another one of those things. We know it, but we lose it, right? We forget. And again, this time of year is a time when it's easy to forget and get off like, whoa, what, wait, how do I, I need to make this happen, I, you know, how do I lose 20 pounds in the next week? Oh, there's something on my phone telling me how to do it here, let me just click on that, and I'll, you know. Um, you know, we want to be fixed, and, uh, and drugs and alcohol and sex and food, and, you know, they, they promise an immediate fix, that's very appealing. You know. I, I mean, there are spiritual teachers who, who promise an immediate fix, too. You know. uh, there are all kinds of things that promise an immediate fix. You know. Um, you know, they just turn on your television. They will you know, uh, interrupt this program to give you an immediate fix. Um, and, it's, and it's really one of the I think most challenging things, but but one of the key kind of elements of spiritual growth that it happens outside of time frames. Uh, it doesn't happen on a schedule. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know. There's no guarantees of how it's going to unfold. This, this is what's so hard about you know the surrender, you know the trust that we're asked to have on a spiritual path. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm asked to come and sit down and close my eyes and do nothing for a while and to, and to do it every day. And nothing changes, you know, nothing happens. Well, what, you know, I, I've gone to these meetings and I still don't have a job, you know. I've, I've meditated and I still don't have a relationship, you know, whatever, you know. We kind of want, I want to get the payoff. And, uh, and it, it, it unfolds, it, it comes. And, the, and, and the, the amazing thing is it all comes, but we don't even notice it, that it came, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you get clean and sober and you, you know, you're working your programs like, oh God, such a, you know, and suddenly you're like seven years sober and somebody says, you know, wow, your life has really changed. Oh, what? Oh yeah, right. And that's why one of the reasons we go to meetings is to be reminded when we hear someone else tell about their story and where they were last week and you're like, wow, man, I'm not there anymore. I guess I have changed and grown, you know. And the Dalai Lama famously, if someone asked him, well, you know, how should we measure our, our uh, development in our meditation practice, in our spiritual growth? He said, you shouldn't, actually. But if you must, I would suggest that maybe look back every five years and see if you can judge that there's been some change or some growth, you know, to see, am I, am I moving in the right direction, you know? And that's pretty good, you know, if you, if you get five years down the line of doing something, it's going to be, uh, 
probably something will happen. Um, so uh, uh, just uh, one more thing, and then I'm going to uh, have you guys talk to each other a little bit. Uh, so just to bring it back to a, to a traditional Buddhist teaching, what the Buddha says uh, uh, about right intention. I mean, we can talk about it in general terms and, and uh, you know, what it means for us and, and all that, but uh, I think it's helpful to go back to the, the founder and uh, hear what, you know, what he had to say, um, as, at least as far as we know. This is what's been passed down to us. And, and first of all, to, to point out that the Buddha said that intention is what is at the root of our karma. That it's what we bring, our motivation, and where we're pointing that really sets karma in motion and, and is really the, the factor that determines the form of the results of our, of our actions, is the intention behind it. So... Uh, yeah, that that's something to just keep in. Uh, what I like about that is that it just it's a reminder that my actions and may not, you know, always be perfect. But if I can just come keep coming back to that right intention, that I'm gonna uh, things will keep progressing in a positive way. So the the Buddha said there are three elements to right intention: renunciation non-ill will, and harmlessness. Um, And I haven't been able to figure out exactly what the difference between non-ill will and harmlessness are. So I'm just going to say there's two (laughs) forms of right intention. keeps it simpler. Renunciation, which is, you know, sounds like a big deal, but it really just means letting go. And if you're in recovery you have been practicing renunciation of whatever your addiction was. And in fact, if you have been, if you're in recovery, then you know how powerful renunciation is. Okay. Uh, it's the, it transforms our lives to let go. Um, you know, the, the, the word itself, you know, it gets kind of associated with a almost kind of ascetic life of, you know, I'm going to give up, uh, you know, sex and, and I'll only eat, you know, one bowl of rice a day, you know, uh, wear my hair shirts, and which actually might be good. At this time of year, that could be comfortable. But, uh, <laughs> but it's really talking. It, the, the Buddha said, you know, he, he tried the physical renunciations and the ascetic practices to an extreme. And he discovered that they didn't actually have a transforming effect. He said what, what, what he's talking about with renunciation is much more of an internal experience. Renouncing, the core thing that you're renouncing is clinging to ego or to self, to, you know, to uh, both in a positive and a negative way. So, I'm, I'm great, I'm wonderful, I have to inflate myself as big as I can be and control the world and, you know, that kind of ego. Or I'm 
terrible, I'm crap, I'm useless, I'm, you know, I'm a waste. Either of those is a form of attachment to ego. So that, uh, and then, for, uh, you know, coming out of that or uh, along with that, the in- inner renunciation is renunciation to craving and to aversion, to desire and aversion, to, to being driven by and controlled by your cravings and your resentments and your aversions. So again, I mean, these are models and they are ideals. It's not that, oh, we're just going to let go, you know, okay, if I, if I want to do, I have to do this right, you know, I have to stop having any desires. It's, it's not about that, but it's, it's about how much am I being run by that. And uh, again, for people in recovery, we understand this. We understand this isn't theoretical or even like spiritual in any lofty sense. It's really, we understand that when I'm being driven by addictive cravings, it is painful. And, and even if there's nothing going on, even if I'm not acting on that, if, if that's in my mind, it has a grip on my mind, I'm, I'm being tormented. And so this practice, this practice of mindfulness meditation is one in which we, uh, what we're really getting at uh, I think what the the real core of this practice is seeing craving arise, feeling it, and letting it go, and coming back to the breath, to the moment, just letting it go for a moment. That's the training to let go. You know, oh, you know. and and you see, like I, that feeling or that thought can come up, and if I don't act on it and I come back to my breath, it goes away. You know, It arises and passes. It's impermanent. It doesn't have to control me. And I can experience here and now the benefit of letting go, that when you know, I'm caught up in worrying about something and I stop and come back to my breath and relax, that I can feel, oh, that's what the Buddha is talking about. That when I stop obsessing, that right here and now, doing nothing, just letting it go, is pleasant. There's a release. There's a freedom that comes in that. So that's the renunciation. It's not that I have to give up the stuff out there. That's not the real problem. It's the stuff in here that traps me. Whether it's ego or grasping or resentment, that's the stuff, right? So this is our practice, and this is what our meditation practice is training us to do, showing us in, the, in real time how this process happens, how suffering, as the Buddha describes it, dukkha, is created by grasping onto things in the mind, and how freedom comes by letting go of things in the mind. I just find it important to, again, reiterate that this doesn't mean that we perfect that, but that amazingly enough, just doing a little bit of that and reorienting ourselves, our, our belief system, and what's dry, what are, in other words, our intention, right? Our, our intention comes out of our belief system. Reorienting in that way and being able to let go just a little bit 
has a hugely transformative effect. It's, uh, that's one of the things you have to trust me on. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's quite amazing uh, that just a, a little bit of letting go really has, can have a very powerful effect. And that, but especially that reorientation of not believing. I mean, we all get caught up in the, the, the craving, but when we realize it's happening, not believing that that's an answer, knowing that that's not an answer. That's, uh, you know, someone who's uh, fairly close to me uh, in my family, uh, someone was telling me about how they're really suffering because their business is having problems and that this person's whole identity is around making money and having a successful business. And, and I just, you know, it's so sad to me to hear that about somebody I care about and to realize, wow, that, that, that's never going to bring satisfaction, you know? It just can't, you know? It just can't. That's, that's the nature of, of economics. Uh, you know, there's never enough. So renunciation, and then on the other hand, non-ill will. That I, I just find it striking that you know that and, and interesting that the Buddha uses this language non-ill will. Why not just say love? Uh, but we see that he talks about non-self and non-ill will, uh, non-greed, non-hatred. Uh, in my my take on that is that he talks he uses these negatives in order to help us to avoid getting attached to some idea. If he says, you know, right intention is to love, then immediately you're like, okay, love, I'm supposed to love. And there's something you're kind of trying to do. Whereas if it's, oh, non-ill will, then all you're trying to do is let go, (laughs) right? So the language and even the way he presents it is aligned with what he's trying to, the effect that he's trying to get from the teaching itself. So in any case, non-ill will is, is love, is loving kindness, is compassion, is care, is generosity, is forgiveness. So again, having these, this is right intention, right? Just to remind you, what we're talking about here is right intention. Letting go, renunciation, and then non-ill will. So being guided by these principles, having these things to come back to. So again, we see that when we get caught up in anger or hatred or resentment, when we realize it's happening, we don't think, yeah, this, I need to really get into this. You know, I need to really express this anger. Or I need to get this, you know, I need to get this person. Once I get back at them, then I'm going to feel better. You know, that we realize that, no, that's actually, no. What's happening right now is that I am creating suffering for myself. And we get this teaching very clearly in 12-step, you know, through the whole amends process. Uh, and and that, you know, the idea that resentments are the number one killer, all that. You know. um, the, the inventory process, so much looking at those things and letting go of them. And, and instead, being able to be guided by loving kindness, 
how freeing that is. You know, if you've ever done just a practice of forgiveness for someone you had a problem with, or you know, the the one I love is bringing compassion to the person that's annoying me, and recognizing that their their unskillful action is coming out of their own suffering. You know, that the person who cuts me off in the freeway is caught up in some kind of anger or fear or, or even ego, like, I'm going to drive faster than everybody. And knowing, okay, that's... Whew. And that sh- beautiful shift that happens, that's one of the... I have to say that in terms of spiritual, like, qu- quick fixes, that's one of the... That is one that can be a pretty quick fix in the moment of, like, oh, wow. Let... I, oh. You know, may you be happy. May you get to your, where you are going to safely. You know, and, and not obviously not just driving, but uh, you know, and those seeing when someone is caught up in their anger, they're yelling at you, or they're upset, and uh, being able to get, feel compassion for them, or all the things that we see happening in the world, and realizing the confusion and the pain that's behind people that are acting out of violence and out of hatred and the, the delusion that people get caught in and to have compassion for that. Uh, so much uh, for us is so much uh, more freedom and, and uh, release uh, when we can forgive and bring compassion. So this is pretty simple in terms of what the Buddha is saying. You know, let go. And basically, we're letting go on both sides. Renunciation, non-ill will, is renouncing ill will. (laughs) So it's actually only one thing we have to have right intention to. It's just to let go. Let go of grasping. Let go of pushing away. Let go of expecting to be fixed by getting something or by getting rid of something or by changing something. Uh, So that's right intention. So, um, I want to give you guys a chance to just um, work with each other a little bit, talk with each other. Uh, And and so, I'm going to suggest that uh, I think we should probably work in dyads uh, so that uh, people can, everybody gets a chance to speak. Um, Sometimes if the groups get too big, then one person might get left out. So, um, so uh, uh, we'll do this. We'll have about 10 or 12 minutes uh, in dyads. And just to talk about, and this is, this is the exercise that I've written down, what commitment or intention do I want to renew today? Whether it's something around your meditation practice, your recovery program, around relationships or social realm, health realm, body realm, work realm. Just one. What? Just one. Uh, I'll make that plural. (laughs) What commitments, commitment or commitments, I'll just put a slash through there. Do I want to renew today? So yeah, you can talk about, uh, you know, and and, um, so this can... One of the ways to frame this uh, when we talk about how we want to change is under right effort is talking about either 
letting go of something or cultivating something. So I might want to, you know, I want to stop, you know, yelling, kicking my dog, let's say. Uh, or I want to cultivate more loving kindness for my dog. So there's, you know, um, there's the abandoning and there's the cultivating. I want to meditate more or I want to, you know, watch less TV or whatever. So. Okay, so just find someone you can speak with. Um, and uh, I'm just going to let you guys figure out how to handle the time. I'm not going to make this into a... But I, I will just encourage you... Uh, sometimes I give very extensive, mindful speaking and listening instruction. I'm not going to do that in too much detail today. I'm just going to encourage you that as your partner is speaking, to just try to really listen without interrupting and without uh, like figuring out what you're going to say. <laughs> just try to listen. And as you're speaking, just try to go as deep as you can into, and speak with a real authenticity and honesty. Uh, this is a pretty safe place to share, even if with your, you're with someone you don't know. Okay? Yes? I, I, I can't hear you. Sorry. I'll ring a bell. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'll ring a bell after about five minutes just to let you know we're about halfway done. And then, Yeah. So about uh, four or five more minutes, just make sure the, your partner has gotten to speak. Okay, um, if we want to wrap it up, thank you, par- partner. Thank you for your wholehearted participation. It's very nice. Um, I'd like to like to see get some feedback on that and hear from people. But before we do, we have a uh, an announcement that uh, there's someone here who's not feeling well and needs to leave, and she's parked in by a white Honda CRV license plate six S A H five six two. You got it. Wonderful. Okay. I hope you feel better. Okay. So, um, love to get any uh, comments on that exercise. If uh, anything came up that anyone would like to share on the group level. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have the mic handy? Thank you. Hi, I'm Lisa Marie. Hi. Um, I was just, I'm struggling today quite a bit with um, self-loathing. Mm. <laughs> um, yesterday was my birthday and two, my recovery birthday and two programs. Mm. Um, and I was just blown away by what a gift it was to turn to somebody and have the reflection of all that was gentle and beautiful. Mm. Thank you. There's one over here. Hi, um, 
Wendy here. Uh, I I was uh, associated intention and action with step six and seven, mm-hmm. um, becoming willing to let go and right. then humbly asking, and then practicing the opposite mm-hmm. because it's up to me to actually practice the opposite. Just, they're not just going to be plucked out of me, right. you know. Kind of aligning my intentions with my actions, yeah. and um, you know, I know Gail. You know, and we were, and so it was great, you know, to be able to see myself reflected in her as well. But um, I just wanted to say I picked up after 21 years sober, mm-hmm. and I've spent the last six years trying coming back, mm-hmm. coming back, coming back. Yeah. You know, and I seem to what what's happening. What's happening is it does get worse, never better. Yeah. And I have manifested most of my fears, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, so it makes me take, think about and take a look at what my intention is because, I mean, I was free of the, the thought of drinking. I lived free of alcohol for many, many years, and one day I just picked up. There was no thought associated with it. You know, I, people ask me what happened. Nothing happened, you know, and, um, it, and it's like living with an assassin now. It's much, much worse. And... Um, <coughs> You know, I spent five months in treatment last year, and the rest of the time I was either in the rooms or I was drunk. And um, so I guess I'm not, I don't have a question. I'm just sharing that experience and that, you know, my intention is to stay sober, you know, and reflecting on the mindfulness when when I turn left instead of right. And I I just shut down because that's what happens. You know, the assassin takes over the steering wheel. And, um, you know, it's, it's my sisters all came to visit me this holiday season because they thought it was the last time they were going to see me. So that's all. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, that idea that you know, there wasn't a thought. I mean, it, you know, that when people say, you know, what, why does somebody relapse? Like, because they're alcoholic, you know, rather than trying to, yeah, come up. I mean, obviously, uh, there's stuff going on in our lives, but uh, but I think one of the, you know, wishes and magical thinking is that if I just do these certain things, then I, like, you know, that the program says I should do, that then I'm, I can't, you know, I'll be protected, that God will protect me, and yeah, I mean... <laughs> If you're not cooperating with God, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's really tough. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not here to, <laughs> I'm not your sponsor. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and I, I really wish you well with uh, with making that. It makes me reflect on what my true intentions are. Yeah, yeah, and I, and that's what I think is. So important for us because um, you know you don't have to be far off <laughs> your right intention to like yeah. you know wind up in the in the, the wrong place. Yeah, opponent, you know, right, was pretty strong. right. Um, so yeah, meditating on that. Yeah, 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 yeah and, and and you know, in terms of the Buddhist teachings, the idea of right effort, and and this correlates very much with or certainly is is something that's also addressed in the 12 steps is that 
you know, right? Effort isn't about controlling things, but because you can't control everything, you control your mind or everyone around you. But on the other hand, you know, right effort isn't just, oh, I'm just letting everything go. You know, it's, no, you know that, it isn't a pass, passivity either. It's this engagement. Uh, that's what I think is so challenging. It'd be, if, if right effort were about just doing the, the right thing, then we would just like follow the rules and everything would be okay. You know, and it doesn't really work that way. Or if it were like, oh, I don't have to do anything because God is going to take care of it. Okay, great. You know, but it's somewhere in between those <laughs> where we have to be engaged in making an effort but not struggling because that struggle just makes it worse. And you know, I found myself, the, the thing that I've relapsed in, I haven't relapsed in drinking and using, but I relapsed with depression. And you know, it's a different disease and, it, and uh, there's generally less intentionality in it than there is in, in alcoholic or drug addiction relapse. But there's a certain amount of intentionality, you know, that's very subtle. And, you know, about a year and a half ago when I was really stuck in this, I, I was talking to a Dharma teacher about it. And, uh, and something he said made me realize... I'd become disengaged from the process. Like I have to be, I have to be more engaged in in uh, avoiding relapse into depression than I do with drugs and alcohol because I don't tend to, I haven't relapsed into them, and that just isn't sort of where I tend to go. But I have to be really engaged, and it's not like oh, I can like make myself not have feelings, but there's a lot of stuff I can do, you know, in, in terms of you know just. Uh, the things that support the avoidance of relapse. And, uh, and I can slip into this passivity around it, where I'm just like, oh, it's cool, you know, just let go, just feel the whatever. Uh, and, and then start to... F- and, and then the other side of it, when it starts to arise, is like, oh, there's nothing I can do, right? I'm helpless, you know, well, it's just this thing, it's going to come, it'll go away eventually. I'll just have to wait it out. You know, it's like, you know, either of those, or neither of those really, uh, is an effective uh, strategy. So some kind of engagement in the recovery process and whatever you're recovering from. Huh. Other, okay, hi. Hi, uh, my name's Michael. Michael. Addict, addict alcoholic. Um, I've been coming back for about 30 years. Um, I'm about 100 days in from my last uh, relapse. I've had some pretty extended periods of sobriety. I've worked all 12 steps with a sponsor. Um, but I've never really done the 11th step. Mm. Uh, you know, I was kind of raised Irish Catholic, so I can kind of understand prayer, but not meditation. And there's no real guideline in the big book that I know of uh, that establishes a any sort of baseline for what meditation should be. I guess if I wanted anything, it would just to be able to leave with, like, okay, I can sit down for five minutes a day in the morning, every morning or something, work from there. Yeah. Because I have, I have ADD, and I have a very frantic mind, and I move around a lot. Um, and I just want a little more peace, you know. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> 
You're welcome. I hope you're getting it. You know, my, I, I have a, a relative, actually, it's sort of an in-law married to my niece, a uh, uh, really brilliant guy, a film and television director, and we've been very close over the years. And oh, About 15 years ago, he came to me and asked me to help him with meditation, and he said that he really had ADD, like when he was in school, he like never could sit still, was always getting in trouble, and you know, and he couldn't sit still to do meditation, so we kind of worked out a, a strategy for him, which was that he would do walking meditation every day for like 15 minutes, and then he would do five minutes of sitting. Um, and I actually described this, this is in one breath at a time I described this. And then, and so, I mean, he had a lot of determination. He really wanted to develop a meditation practice, and, and he found that was workable for him. He could do the walking meditation, and then he could sit for a few minutes like after that because it would kind of settle him enough to do that. And gradually, he was able to sit for longer and longer periods of time, and eventually just like sat, you know. He stopped doing the walking before the sitting, and, and he's now, he's been on retreats and practices regularly. Um, so I do think that, it's possible to work with that condition and with that energy uh, if you're, you know, if there has to be a, a strong intention, you know, a strong determination to do it. Um, and and I, th- I think one of the things that we all have to work with is being able to sit with the restlessness and sit with the busy mind and, and to... Just have the trust that even though it seems like nothing is happening, something is happening. You know, uh, uh, a lot of times my morning meditation is just caught up in thinking, uh, and very little mindfulness or calm. But invariably, at the end, and I, I always ring a bell for myself at the end. I feel differently even though it didn't seem like anything was happening while I was sitting there, at the end of it, it's like, oh, something happened. And, uh, yeah, so keep coming back. It works if you work it. So you got your hand up, Jake? Yeah. Have the, the mic up here. She's got it. <laughs> yeah. So when I was talking to... My partner, um, something that came up was that, um, you know, I live in a, in a house uh, and it's called an independent living house. And, um, I always think that I'm going to be happier when I'm outside of the house or when I'm, when I leave here or, um, I'm on call for work and I'll say, I'll, I'll be happier when I get called for work. You know, or when I get more work, um, I guess my intention is to let go of of that and to to realize that you know it's it's okay to be to be where you are right now. And yeah, I read this great great quote that um, a free man is never imprisoned. Um, well, he he is right. physically, right? But in, in his in his mind, yeah. Um, it, it, this is what just uh, 
what I would suggest in terms of your relationship to that feeling that there's something better that you know once you, if you could leave it'd be better or whatever you go to work it'd be better just know that that's not true <laughs> so that when it comes up even though the feeling is there and the thought is there you could it does, letting go of that habit might take a while but the insight that it's not true you can have you can carry with you and just so when it comes up it's like oh here's that feeling again here's that thought again that's not true <laughs> you know and just and you, you might still have the feeling and the thought might still be there but you have a different relationship to it it's not holding you in the same way and also feel how it feels again that kind of connect with the body how does it feel to when i think I'd, i'll be happier when they call me for work how does that feel oh i'm creating that through having that thought so yeah that's a very familiar <laughs> i'm sure for most of us so um, I think we should. I want to move us towards <laughs> towards lunch. We'll, we'll have more time this afternoon. So uh, we're, uh, I'm actually I want to do a short meditation before lunch, and then and then uh, Mark is going to make some announcements, and I'll, I'll make a couple announcements. So we'll we'll basically break for lunch about twelve thirty and have about an hour. But um, I guess some people need a little. So. I, w- I want to do a, a short loving-kindness meditation, but uh, not the conventional one. You okay? So, the, the, uh, the conventional and t- traditional loving-kindness meditation is uh, a focus on radiating kindness to uh, people you love and and then other people you don't love, uh, to, to all beings. And lately I've been uh, focusing my loving kindness rather on the, on the earth and on the environment. And uh, so I'm going to kind of talk you through uh, this, this meditation on healing the earth, and, um, which has really become such a huge uh, issue, and we're, we're all becoming so much more aware of the of the problems, um, and and I take inspiration from there's one line from the teachings of the Buddha on loving kindness, where he says, "Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths." So in those words, he's not speaking about people or even living beings. He's just talking about, in a, in a sense, he's talking about the earth, the skies, and the depths. And, and finally, I'll say that, that you know, one of my favorite phrases, too, from this is, he says, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. And I'd like to say that we can turn this around that as the children of the earth mother, that we can radiate loving kindness to the mother, to Mother Earth. So just settling back into a comfortable posture. 
and breathing into the heart, breathing into letting the chest and belly be soft and open. Letting the sense of boundaries and separations dissolve for just a moment. You are connected to this planet. Your life comes from this planet, from the sun, from the air, from the (coughs) waters, from the earth. You are not separate from the other beings in this room or on this planet. You are always held by the gravity of the earth. You are always surrounded by and touched by the air. by the atmosphere. Feel your connection. Your body, made up largely of the salty waters of the oceans. made up of the earth, the elements of the earth, kept alive moment by moment by the air. Completely dependent upon all these elements. Through our efforts to survive on the planet and to acquire comfort, material things, we've accidentally harmed the planet. We know that the air has been filled with pollutants, especially with carbon dioxide. Imagine that we've ceased to put these pollutants in the air. Imagine that all our sources of energy are safe and non-harming and the sun and the wind, other safe energies. And that over time, we see the air and the skies renewing themselves. Coming clean again, 
healthy to breathe through this effort of humans on the planet, all of us together. The sky is turning a rich, deep blue like none of us have seen in this lifetime. The children in New Delhi and Beijing are breathing deeply and playing in pure, safe air. Whatever actions have been done can be undone. Together, we can create this pure, beautiful atmosphere that is the gift of the universe. And now thinking of the seas. For so long, they seemed so vast that certainly we could never pollute or damage these vast oceans. But now we know that's not true. That through our commerce, transporting goods around the world, travel. We've harmed the ocean deeply. And through our damaging of the atmosphere, we've changed the ocean. And as the skies become clean and clear, the ocean returns to a more natural cycle of temperature. And perhaps the navies of the world could join together to clean all the pollutants, all the plastic and garbage. Maybe. Let us envision this, the oceans becoming clear and clean again. Species threatened coming back to health. The life of the oceans healed. the cycles of nature undisturbed by human behaviors. And now the land, the land itself, which we've poisoned 
which we've punctured, drilled, Imagine that we restore this land to health, to purity. No more pesticides or pollutants. No more forcing water in to get out some fossil fuels. Creating space for all beings. These acts of healing are both acts of love and acts of survival. This tiny planet in this vast universe, its fate perhaps has no meaning beyond the meaning we give it here in our brief lives. And yet, we all know how precious life is. That the qualities of love, of wisdom, of generosity, kindness, are unique, worth preserving. May our care and love of the earth, of this home, carry through into our actions and spread out across the planet. May our transformation of consciousness bring about this healing. There are many ways that We create suffering here. We can only transform our own hearts and carry our own wisdom out into the world. And hope that that spirit of awakening and compassion will transform the world into the place that we can imagine.
a place where humans and all beings and the planet itself are all healed, can live in the harmony that is our potential. May all beings and the earth itself be free from suffering. Just a couple things. I, I, I want to let you know just uh, about the things that I, I'm doing right now. Um, I'm, I'm doing some more online teaching. So um, there's a website, Worldwide Insight. I'll, I'll put some things up on the uh, whiteboard later. Um, and they have a weekly, they're starting, uh, they have a weekly like meditation on Sundays. Uh, that's like people tune in from all over the world and I'm not sure how much interactive uh, interaction there is. I think there might be some. But this year they're starting something called Healing and Insight and it's going to be on Saturdays. So next Saturday, the 9th, I'm going to be on at 9 a.m., I think. Anyway, I'll put up the website and you can check it out if you want to hear it. It's going to be about recovery. Um, I, I will be here next Friday night for my monthly class. The second Friday of every month I'm here. And then the fourth Tuesday, I can keep track, I'm at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. So if those are regular things uh, that I do the, here in the monastery. Um, and then, you know, my website is kevingriffin.net. Again, I'll, I'll just put a few, all these things up here. Um, and I keep my schedule on there. So if you want to come on retreat with me, the next r- regular retreat I'm teaching is uh, in June in southern Washington. But uh, anyway, you can look up what I'm doing there. And you can always contact me through my website, too. I have my email. Uh, you can just click on contact, and uh, I, I respond to every email I get, unless something happens and somehow I blow it, but I believe I do. That's my effort and my intention. So, um, yeah, that's the stuff that's going on with me, and I'll put some websites up on the whiteboard here. And Mark wants to make announcements. I think he's uh, general announcements.